0: Hey, everyone, welcome back to another episode of A Modern Nonprofit Podcast. I am here today with my friend, Molly. Molly, you and I have known each other for a few years, and I feel like we immediately clicked, and I feel like the reason why we immediately clicked, um, number one, we're both founders and CEOs of our organizations, and number two, we immediately jived on the entrepreneur mindset. Um, you're just you're just a hustler, and you're, you, you think outside <laughs> of the box, you're creative you're always interested in making the biggest impact um, in in ways that are just completely thinking outside of the box. And I absolutely love that. Um, You've kind of been an unofficial mentor to me personally, as I started my my business as well. And that's exactly why I wanted to have you on today. So Molly, today we're going to talk about entrepreneurship and kind of thinking about entrepreneurship in the way of nonprofits. So Molly, first and foremost, thanks so much for being on. And I'm really excited to have this conversation with you.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. When I saw you had a podcast, I was like, I need to reach out to Tasha, and then I never did, so I'm glad you reached <laughs> out to me. So, yeah, it's one of my favorite topics, I think. I, you know, if I were to sort of sum up what is one of the challenges in the nonprofit sector, is that there's not enough outside of the box, there's not enough thinking in an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, we often hear in this industry that we're going to do it that way because we've always done it that way, mm-hmm. and in the world of entrepreneurship, we know that that's a kiss of death for a company. And Mm -hmm. yet in the nonprofit world, we keep doing what we've always done over and over again, because that's how we've always done it. Mm -hmm. Um, So as a founder of my organization, and I started 18 years ago now, um, I decided early on, this was never going to be a, we're going to do it because we've always done that. Um, So yeah.
0: So let's, let's just go ahead and get started in my mind, like the most obvious question. You started a nonprofit and you've started many other kind of movements, initiatives, businesses, those sort of things. How do you think nonprofit leaders could be more entrepreneurial as they start and grow their organization coming from a a fellow founder?
1: You know, entrepreneurship by definition, right, is a willingness to take on new risks. I like to think about entrepreneurship as always thinking about how to scale, how to grow, how to how to really just make your impact exponential. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things that has helped me along the way was just recognizing that as a founder of a nonprofit, That is an entrepreneur role. That is somebody who started something from nothing and has a responsibility and often an urgency to grow it, to scale it and to do it in the most productive, efficient way possible. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the part to take from entrepreneurship. It's that productivity, it's that efficiency, it's the systems. The Mm -hmm. reason that I have an organization today and my sanity are the systems. Early on, we put systems in place and we've continued to refine and build and look at those systems. Um, And it's really gotten to the point, you know, where when COVID happened and we had to go virtual overnight, we had the systems and the processes in place that we were able to just keep doing what we were doing.
0: I like how you talk about systems because I think so many organizations, they operate in silos, right? They have one individual that does the main function, right? So, and, and, I, and I say this out of my own experience, accounting and finance specifically, or program leadership specifically, or fundraising specifically, or memberships, or the list goes on and on and on, volunteer, you know, coordination or, you know, whatever it might be. And so many times I see organizations, I know because I get these conversations. I had a woman yesterday reach out absolutely frantic because our director of business and finance has decided to resign and give two weeks notice. But because there are no systems, we rely on humans and their human, you know, ability is to retain information in their brain and never getting it out of the system or out of their brains into some sort of system or document in any sort of meaningful way, no systems to cross train that, that these organizations become crippled and paralyzed. And because we're operating in such siloed ways, there's no kind of critical thinking problem solving amongst the group how can we overall look at these things like for example I had another call yesterday where I have an organization that keeps getting all of these new government grants and that's an amazing thing but at this point how does those writing the grants, communicate to the program team, this is a new funding source that we need to be tagging to those individuals that we're serving. seeing to make sure they get billed. And then how is the finance department even aware that these contracts exist so that we can make sure, yes, we got the census from the program team so that we can then bill. And it's just all of this communication and collaboration that frankly, I have seen not work so well uh, in the nonprofit space. And, and it's probably true for for-profit businesses, but it's just absolutely important. Yeah.
1: It's, it is alarming to me how many companies run with the idea that if someone were to get hit by a bus, or as we say in our organization, mm-hmm. go on an incredible exotic vacation tomorrow, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. perpetuate this idea of getting hit by a bus for my team, um, but that things would grind to a screeching halt. And I think the common criticism of creating systems and documenting everything mm-hmm. is I'm already so busy with everything that I'm doing, I couldn't possibly now take time to document systems to write down what I do. And what ends up happening is that, again, that person leaves and now you're spending a whole bunch of time scrambling, doing rework, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So a few years ago, I guess now maybe closer to six or seven years ago in our organization, we actually decided as a team that there's got to be a way to be more efficient. There's got to be a way to shift responsibilities so that our days actually really could end at 5 p.m. So we mm-hmm. worked night, we actually worked 8 30 to 5 um, and had 30 minutes for lunch. And I was really committed again about seven years ago that if your day ends at 5, you go home at 5. You're not emailing after five. You're not emailing before you come in. That's just, we're just not doing that anymore because I saw that the way that we were doing things, which was the way we've always done them. And the way that other organizations I've watched and worked and done is that you work all day, you go home, you do a bunch of work at night, you get up in the Mm -hmm. morning, you work all morning, you, and it just doesn't work. It's not sustainable. It's not healthy. And we're the people in this in, in this world who are ostensibly improving the lives of those around us. And meanwhile, we're overworked, underpaid and not just not being efficient is mm-hmm. it, it to me feels like you're stealing from your clients who need you. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the, the easiest way. So we audited I mean. the entire organization and we've since done it on a quarterly basis where we write down. What do we write down? Um, Work I love to do. I always Mm -hmm. want to make sure people are doing work they love to do. So work Mm -hmm. I love to do. We write in the next column, work only I can do. Mm -hmm. What is the work in your organization right now that only you can do? And listen, no judgment here. It's a long list when you start. (laughs) And (laughs) um, And then the other column is other work I do. So it's not stuff that only I can do. And it's not stuff that I love to do. It's just other stuff I do. And so we took all of those responsibilities and we were able to shift things around so that people could be doing work they love to do. Mm -hmm. So the column of work only I can do was looked at all the time, because here's the thing. And I don't think I'll ever forget this moment. I had been at the UN. We were planning for World Autism Awareness Day. That's the space I work in. And I had like four missed calls and I was like, oh, no, what happened? And what had happened was at the office, the garbage hadn't gotten picked up. And as it turns out, nobody knew the number for the garbage company. The system was you call Molly or you text Molly, the CEO of the organization, and you say the garbage hasn't been picked up. And then I call the garbage company and that's how the garbage gets picked up. Mm -hmm. Now we're in Brooklyn, New York. So the garbage not getting picked up is a huge deal and it's a huge ticket. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's not just inconvenient and messy. It's like, no, you get a huge ticket from the city. So it's kind of an important thing. So we were able to fix that. You know what we did? We took a piece of paper and we took a Sharpie and we wrote garbage not picked up, question mark. Call this number. Tell them this address please ask them to be here before 10. Ta-da. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's like, you just don't realize how many of those things, it's like, okay, somebody came in, the garbage wasn't picked up. Well, that's not the person who generally calls me. So then, then my assistant gets a message to call me to let me know that the garbage had been picked up and then they hadn't heard back from me. So then someone else called me. It's like, when you actually look at all that time and when you start to value your time, Mm-hmm. You can't help but put systems in place and start to find those places, um, where there's any friction, where anything, or whenever you say, does anyone know where yeah. that was like, or, does anyone know where it's like, that's not good.
0: <laughs> no, it's not good. And I love how you talk about the things that you love, because one of my, my big takeaways over the last eight to 18 months is figuring out all the things I love. And, yeah. and, and this would be true for everyone figuring out how to spend um, most of my time into that camp and anything that's just other things that I do. Once that other things that I do starts to consume, you know, 20, 30% of your time, let's create another position that someone else that loves to do that. Um, you know, and, and we've just been focused on, being laser focused on each individual person's role. And hopefully, the majority of their time is, is things that they love or things that only they can do, and just delegating and figuring out and reassigning who does all those other things. Speaking of time, though, I do have a question because this is, a, I know this is something I've asked you privately, um, and I'm going to ask you again publicly. Um, you, you, People have told me this, and I certainly feel like this is true for you, that that the companies that we run seem very almost like a tech startup vibe, um, because I think we're very creative and we find creative ways of of running our businesses. So you've always stayed on the cutting edge of this, cutting edge of creating a way of running your business, um, whether it's the latest technology or the latest processes and systems. And you've talked about time. And I know certainly we can talk to people about, you're going to spend the time eventually, you might as well spend it now. But truly, Molly, where do you get the time to know all of the latest like workflow softwares and the latest um, you know tech solutions and the latest, because you are just such a fountain of information when it comes to, oh, there's an app for that, or oh, there's this, there's that. And <laughs> how do you know these things? So That's yeah, a good question. how do you find well, time for all of it? When do you One, I'm very do
1: interested in it. Two, whenever I see a business that, and it might just even be an online entrepreneur, solopreneur, whenever I see any Mm. kind of tool or system that they're using, I immediately think like, how can we use that? Can we use that? Does that make sense Mm. for us? Um, A few years back, I decided that as an organization, it was time to really scale our impact. And I realized that the idea of managing hundreds of people was overwhelming, And the idea of having thousands of people involved with our work was overwhelming. And so I committed to creating systems so that if we were serving five people or 5,000 people, there would be no interruption. There would be no stress. There would be no, like, we can't do it, right? So we looked at every single place in our organization where anything was a bottleneck. What could we automate? Um mm-hmm. and when I knew I wanted to scale the organization, I looked at a number of nonprofits. I worked with a number of very large nonprofits um, mm-hmm. and just as, you know, And I was very fortunate to be in New York. There's a lot of very large, very successful nonprofits. Um, and what I found is that they had sort of grown by accident. They had scaled by mm-hmm. accident. There hadn't actually been systems and processes in place that had gotten them there. So then I looked entirely outside of the nonprofit world. And I actually mentored mm-hmm. with a tech company, um, a software company in, in California and learned. I traveled out there four times a year to learn from them and be in that community and be in that space and I just actively put myself into those environments um, where that's just the normal everyday conversation. My, you know, where my friends and I get together, we talk about Asana versus Trello. Asana all the way, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, how I feel about Asana. I'll tell anyone yeah. who will listen about Asana. Um, and I think that is, that's kind of part of it. It's just sort of become who I am and what I'm doing. Um, and I think the biggest part is that There are many people who have figured this out already. Mm -hmm. There's this tendency, especially as a founder, to go, I'm the only one. I have to figure this out. And I remember years ago, we started using Asana probably 11 or 12 years ago. And I remember just testing them all by myself. And it was like, we're Mm going to test this one. and We're going to test this one. And then I discovered there's this thing called a blog. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And there are people who have written about their experiences and their comparison charts and you don't have to do it all. You can, you can yeah. things a lot. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that sometimes people get so bogged down into being busy that it's yeah. always surprising to me um, how much more nonprofit leaders don't kind of put themselves out there to immerse themselves in the information available. Like you, I mean, I essentially started an online business with the charity CFO and I had to figure all of the things out. I had to figure out how do I build my clients? Like, how do I Do the work? How do I deal with emails? How do I, you know, and I'm constantly figuring out because when it's only just one person, and many nonprofit leaders have the same way, but I think we kind of default into, and I think this is human nature in general, we tend to default into what we are good at. And since I know so many founders that come more through the programmatic side, they tend to focus more on the programmatic, which is absolutely important, not to dismiss the the importance of that, but not realizing how efficient and streamlined we can really get um, the administrative side of the business up and running. So, and and on that know. note, then, so whether it's related to marketing, programming, staffing, hiring, technology—I know you have all so many different ideas. What are some other hacks that you might recommend to people that you've learned through um, the growing pains of scaling? That you hmm. might advise people on, um, and maybe just a handful of them. I know you've got—I know you've got several. So, what, what would you say your top I'm, hacks for running I'm a 12. modern nonprofit, specifically?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think. So one thing is that in general, in your organization, you want to figure out how to do fewer things better. So Mm -hmm. to figure out what is it that you do? What is it that you don't do? Once you get really clear on the program and you know what you provide and you know sort of your place in the in the world in that way, you need to focus on the administrative pieces. And for me, mm-hmm. the administrative pieces were, it was really about creating systems, creating processes, streamlining things and outsourcing as much as possible. Part mm-hmm. um, One of the things that we also do on a quarterly basis is we in the office um, and now remotely, we write down what we did every 15 minutes. This is not to micromanage. This is to look at like, what are the little things that are pulling me in different directions? Mm -hmm. What are the Mm -hmm. little things? Um, And then we also time block at the global autism project. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. everything we do is in time blocks. So one of the questions you asked about where do I find time? There's actually an hour and a half block in all of our weeks that is learning block and Mm -hmm. in learning block you watch that webinar that you haven't watched yet. You read that article Mm -hmm. you haven't read yet, rather than reading it, getting distracted, and then going back to email. Um, You know, we only check our email three times a day at the Global Autism Project for 30 Mm -hmm. minutes at a time. It's plenty, it doesn't seem like it is, but you know what helps with that? We have no internal email. You Mm -hmm. do not email your colleagues. We use Asana for communication. We're looking at other communication tools now that we're of course fully remote. but that makes a huge difference to have zero internal email. That's probably the biggest question I get after a podcast, by the way, and you're welcome to reach out and ask how we yeah, do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, zero internal email and then outsourcing. So we use JustWorks and we love JustWorks as our HR platform. So mm-hmm. in that 15 minutes, I realized that I was spending time every week calling the payroll administration mm-hmm. company, calling them back and then asking them if they made them, you know, then looking at a mistake they made. And it's like, that all adds up. Yeah and so okay it is now a priority to not work with this payroll company because we're actually spending hours of the CEO's time on the phone with the payroll company because they're mm-hmm. not willing to talk to the assistant and they're not willing to talk to the finance person or they are but I still have to get on the phone and say yes you can talk I mean it was just mm-hmm. that became a priority for us Um, as I said, Asana, Asana is like the brain of our organization. Once you have our Asana password, you're like, you're in, (laughs) like, it's like, Mm -hmm. there is a section in Asana for all of our process docs. How do we, um, onboard a new partner? How do we, um, everything, how do we replace the ink cartridge in the printer? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and for a lot of the things that we do online, we upload a video. So whenever Mm -hmm. anybody asks us how to do anything, so if you worked here and I said, Hey, Tasha, do you know how to download contacts who have traveled to Kenya? And you go, yeah, yeah, I know how to do that. What you might do is go, Oh yeah, I'll do it for you real quick. And then you don't get it done. Mm -hmm. and And then what we do here is you do it and you record a screenshot of you doing it and you upload it to the process doc. Yep. And it's all with naming conventions. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, CRM software, download contacts by group, mm-hmm. you know, and you're able to find it. So I think that's really been the biggest thing. Um, and then of course now we're fully remote. Before we were, our office was on point organized. Every single mm-hmm. thing had a place. There was a place for everything. Um inventory was instead of waiting till we ran out to do something or get something or end up now having to go to a bodega or a store or whatever, mm-hmm. it was like, there's a line drawn on the dishwash soap that says when it gets to here, order a new one, you know, so yeah. there um, in some ways I, I can really see and hear this as like, wow, that's intense. Like what's it like to work there? Um, and obviously you need to ask my team and it is, people tend to appreciate it. It's like Mm -hmm. so clear, it's so obvious. We're not running out of stuff. And anytime we are, anytime there's a breakdown in that system, it's handled as just that. It's a breakdown, how to make sure it doesn't happen again.
0: Absolutely, I I will echo a a couple of things that you've said from the get-go. I think the single handed best decision I ever made uh, when I started this business was no internal emails. Um, And it's been about five and a half years now. And it's really mind-blowing for people, but it's really interesting because I get reports. So we certainly get a lot of client emails, right? And just to put it in perspective for some of you listening, if you don't understand how big your email problem is, wait to some of the numbers that I throw out. I have clients, um, my average client, we've got a little over hundred clients a month. On average, I get 54 emails a month from my clients, right? On average. And some of the largest offenders, I get clients who send um one of them is 354 emails, I think, a month that I get from them. Another one is um, was upwards of 700 emails a month, just to me, just to me. And so when I went back to the CEO, I said, listen, I'm not going to tell you how to do your business, but do you realize that your team is emailing me that many times? So imagine how many times they're emailing each other. And a lot of it is just CCing, copy everybody on everything. And I thought, I don't know if you realize this, but we have a system that's very easy for me to run these reports and it might be good information for you. And I just think everyone on the team is just so relieved and appreciative of the fact that we don't have a culture where carbon copy everybody and send everything there. Because to your point, um, Molly, we have most of our communication that is work-related rather than just water-cooler chit-chat is all housed into a workflow software. So if somebody is like wondering what's going on with a specific task, they can just go to the workflow software and they see the communication there rather than it just be... So it's more... um, fetching the information when they need it rather than pushing all of the information in front of people's right. face and it's just complete information overload. So if you haven't thought about this idea of completely eliminating your internal email, there is a way Molly and I are here to <laughs> to speak to that. Um, absolutely. And there's just so many good administrative hacks. Um, out there that I think we could just talk all day about the different ideas. But... I know.
1: I was like, I, where do I start and physical mm-hmm. office space? And I mentioned the thing about our physical office space, because I know a lot of your listeners probably, you know, do things like run group homes or run programs. Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily realize how much time is taken away from your clients into mm-hmm. doing something like reorganizing something, right? This mm-hmm. idea of rework, it's already been done and now we have to do it again. And mm-hmm. it's just it's it steals from your clients. That's what mm-hmm. it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Your time and your talent and your energy should be able to be spent with your clients, with the people that you serve. Mm-hmm. And that's just at the end of the day, I think that for us as an organization, it's like, hey, why does it matter that we label where the stapler goes? Oh, because we care about that kid we work with. Mm-hmm. You know, just really making those connections. I walked into an organization that I gave to monthly in New York City in 2005. i would never been to their office. I imagined it was probably very amazing. And it was a disaster. The desks were a mess. There were boxes of things everywhere. File cabinet drawers were open. And like, listen, full disclosure, I'm a Capricorn. I like my stuff in my space to be organized.
0: Mm-hmm. But I
1: stopped giving money that day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I stopped giving money that day. And I just imagine it was back in the day when you mailed a check. And I just imagined Mm -hmm. that like, what do they do with the check when it comes in? Like, they're going to like, I was legit worried that that check was going to get lost and like screw up my banking, you know, Mm -hmm. but I just felt like, no, sorry. Like I support what you do, but this is, you know, and giant New York city based organization. There's no financial reason that things, Mm -hmm. um,
0: more organized.
1: Yeah, and just any system, so.
0: Right, so let's talk a little bit more about that. So we we kind of mentioned earlier that a lot of people that are in leadership roles or those that decide to start nonprofits usually come through the programmatic side. I mean, certainly you've been working um, with children with autism for many, many, many years. You started an organization um, to continue working with children with autism and, or I guess adults too, maybe older children. But what would you say to someone that did come through the programmatic side but needs to brush up on the business side of things because I I will say, and certainly correct me if I'm wrong here, but you have eliminated as much off your plate as humanly possible. So you can focus on enriching your programs and revenue generation, right? Uh, Growing the organization, scaling the organization, continue to grow um, the salaries for your staff and the benefits for your staff and all these sorts of things. So when I talk to you, your primary focuses increasing impact for program, um, but also revenue generation, which will then also fuel the impact that you can have with your, your programs. So what would you say to someone that came through this programmatic side and they have no idea how to really run the business and focusing on, primarily the revenue generation side and, and increasing the impact of the organization? What, what tips would you have maybe for those individuals?
1: Well, having been there, I think the important thing to get is that you are talking to me nearly 20 years after mm-hmm. I started the organization mm-hmm. um, and very much sort of on the other side. And I remember about 13 years ago, I was looking for this file the other day, I remember just like hitting record on my computer and being like, this is really hard. And I promise if I ever figure this out, I will share this information freely. Mm -hmm. I mean, just being in that place of just total exhaustion, burnout, overwhelm. I'd just gotten Mm -hmm. back from a trip um, to Kenya and I was dealing, of course, with jet lag and, and all that. And the trip hadn't even been fun. Cause I'd been so stressed out and so overwhelmed. Not that it's meant to just be fun, but usually you enjoy your work, you know, and now, suddenly yeah. I um, and I also had shingles. So it was really this mm. moment where I was like, oh my gosh, like this can't, this can't be how it is. So, um, I think the most important thing is if you're in that place, one, like two things, one, know that it is absolutely not sustainable. And two, do not judge yourself for being in that place. I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that kept me from really stepping into the leadership of this organization is I had this thought in the back of my head, like, like I, like, I can't do this. Like, I'm not, Mm. I'm not the person like who, how, you know, and I really, and I remember also realizing that maybe I could learn about business and maybe I could learn about administration and maybe I could even like it. And I was going to create that possibility and try that. Um, And I knew full well that if I did not like it, if I did not like learning about the finance side of stuff, if I did not like learning about the system side of stuff, um, that I would, that I would back off and hire someone for that role. And my role Mm -hmm. would be programmatic Um, because I think some people enjoy it and some people don't. And just because you come from the program side and you don't enjoy it right now doesn't mean you can't. So mm-hmm. for me, what I loved about the program side was the problem solving and the thinking outside mm-hmm. the box, the creating new possibilities and all that. And mm-hmm. so I was able to just bring that into the business management side. So the problem solving, like there's so much problem solving, yes. uh, like solution <laughs> finding, you know, um, mm-hmm. So I think that is, yeah, that's the most important thing I want people to get though. Like I've been doing this a long time and I started this nearly pre-internet. Certainly the internet didn't have all the resources it has today, yeah. um, but there are, and you know, even you and what you, your, company didn't exist, <laughs> you know, that would have been a great it's thing true. to find 20 years ago. It's
0: true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny how much has changed even in the last five years, right? The last 10 years. And and that's where I think it's so important that, you know, we stay on top of emerging trends on how to run the businesses because they you know, you're going to be constantly finding new ways to do things as am I, uh, new software becomes available, new process improvement becomes available, um, you know, new positions, new professionals, new abilities to outsource things that you never thought outsourcing was even an option. I mean, at one point, accounting, outsourcing your accounting was just unheard of. Outsourcing yeah. your HR was unheard of. Um, yeah. outs- outsourcing your facilities management was unheard of, right? And there's just going to be so many more things. And now with so many contractors out there, you can outsource all of your, I mean, shoot, there's so many things you, you can outsource nowadays. It's amazing to me how many businesses can run very, very lean, but yet have such an impact. So Molly, thank you.
1: I mean, I think it's, there's, there's such an opportunity out there to just, you know, again, you do fewer things better. You do what you're good Mm -hmm. at. You do Mm -hmm. what you enjoy.
0: Otherwise you're not
1: going to be in this. You're not. That's just, I I can tell you right now, I almost wasn't, you know?
0: Which brings up, you say that, and it brings up an interesting point for me because I think that this is going to be a very controversial thing that I think an accountant will say. But in the nonprofit world, we hyper-focus on expenses. And I think, Molly, where you and I are, I think, very similar in the sense... We look at getting the right people into the right positions, focusing on the things that they really, really enjoy. And oftentimes, yes, that means that you have more people, right? And that means you have more expenses. So many times I see nonprofits so hyper-focused on, we need to cut office supplies by 10%. We need to, you know, not give raises for these staff, you know, for this particular reason because we just don't have budget. And you and I kind of, I think, have a little bit of a different mindset that rather than hyper-focusing on how can we just slash all expenses immediately, how can we create more revenue? How can we expand our footprint to get more supporters? Or how can we be creative about how we earn revenue rather than relying on donations, right? And having a little bit of a different mindset on we need these people, we need these roles, we need these functions, we need these expenses in order to run and all have our sanity at the end of the day. What does that mean then? And that's kind of going back to the entrepreneurial spirit. Most entrepreneurs don't say, Well, how can I keep my expenses really low, and that's the bare minimum of revenue that I'm willing to or able to get, right? And that's a lot of times when I the 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 tone that I hear from many of my clients. And kind of flipping the script a little bit, I think about, and I've and I've kind of done this over the last 18 months. Like, what roles as I start figuring out what do I love, what do I do that only I could do, and what is just all of the other things that I do, and all of those other things I do, I start carving out different positions. And certainly nonprofits should be doing the same thing. And then I figure out, well. and now that I've made the commitment to get that off of my plate, I need to figure out as the CEO how the heck to pay for it, right? And so then it goes into kind of the more the creative side of things on how to how to generate the revenue to do that. And I think that that's I think that sometimes unique to the for-profit world, but I don't think it should be, and I don't think it needs to be. So um, I love that part.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think it brings up a really good point too, and something that I'm very passionate about is that our team has great benefits they have competitive salaries, they, um, you know, everybody gets their birthday off, you know, with, with mm-hmm. our fully remote team, we're sort of working that out. But we had a few things that um, were really great. One of them was, of course, everybody gets their birthday off, they get three holidays of their choosing off, whichever, you know, every, we, have, we were in New York City working with people from all different cultures. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, in addition to our regular time off, they had that time off, Um, they took a week off between Christmas and new year's, even though it's a huge busy week in the nonprofit world, we had the systems Mm -hmm. and the processes and the automation in place that they could just really be with their families.
0: Um, Mm -hmm. and same with
1: the summer, we have a big event that we've run in the summer. Now, granted, this is pre COVID now things are remote. Now things Mm -hmm. are a little, we're we're working it out still, um, you know, a year and a half into it going, Oh, okay. I guess we are, I guess we are staying like this. That's This is Mm -hmm. another conversation we're having now than we thought we were having last April. Mm Um, and but just really making sure that that your team is taken care of um and that mm-hmm. that becomes really an important important piece of what it is that you're doing um mm-hmm. And i think that is often overlooked that's often overlooked as oh we can't afford it um yeah. well what i can't afford is to have, somebody working three or four jobs to make ends meet mm-hmm. to try to put themselves so that they can do this that's one thing mm-hmm. another thing I can't afford is one of my staff members gets sick and yeah. they don't have the coverage to take care of that and mm-hmm. so now they cannot take care of themselves properly and or they're not just not going to the doctors because they don't have the coverage we have mm-hmm. a generous health benefits program, just because we just don't want to be in a place mm-hmm. where people are having to make those sort of decisions to do this work. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so I, as you know, I can talk about this like all day, every day, If people have mm-hmm. questions. You're welcome to reach out to me as you can well imagine. I have a calendar link with the times that people are able to book with me. Um, and I'm happy to, I'm happy to set that up and share that with people um, as well that you can put in the show notes if you'd like. So.
0: Perfect. Well, Molly, thank you again so much for joining us. I'm going to go ahead and drop the uh, link to Global Autism Project right in our show notes. And Molly, is there any other ways that people can find you, um, or just to follow your story and follow your impact? Is is there any other ways that people could do maybe in a more passive way rather than, um, scheduling time with you?
1: Yeah. The, um, the organizations on Instagram at Global Autism Project on Facebook, Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I'm terrible about posting there. So you probably won't find me as much there. Um, but yeah, I would say, you know, follow the global autism project on Instagram. You can kind of see what we're up to. You'll see some of the entrepreneurial innovations that allowed us to continue. I think one thing that we just kind of skipped over Tasha, which is hilarious mm-hmm. is there was a day last year where I called you up and said, our revenue is zero. Yeah. Can you- I'm sorry. I said it's zero for 2020. Mm-hmm. I was like, all of our trips are canceled. That's where we get our money, millions of dollars, and our revenue is going to be zero. And it was kind of like, all right, now we have some information. What mm-hmm. are we going to do? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we, um, yeah, I mean, we went from our revenue zero to, um, creating an online program that we sold to people and we were able to continue to exist. And our team is still here and not as many positions, just the nature of our work. We didn't have the opportunity to keep all of the positions. Um, but the people who were here in March of 2020 are still here. Um, yeah. and we were, we've been able to figure that out. So, yeah,
0: yeah. it's a very interesting story. We did, we could do a whole nother episode about the kind of the journey, but I remember when we started working together a couple of years ago, you almost like tripled the size of the organization in a year, and we're not talking, you know, going from you know ten thousand to thirty thousand. We're talking, you know, millions, right? And then we went o- overnight. Hence, uh, as the name would suggest, Global Autism Project. We are a global organization that travels all over the world. And as soon as, soon as COVID-19 um, prevented anyone from traveling anywhere, all of our operations and programming came to a screeching halt. And, and you've been able to weather that storm pivot online. Hopefully we'll get back to traveling again soon, fingers crossed, but you've certainly had some good lessons. And it's almost like, how do you survive that? We could do a whole nother episode. But um yeah. certainly some of these lessons learned. But I think it's a testament to all of the things that you've done um the first 20 years, right? Uh helped you survive the this last two years, year and a half or so. So
1: well, nothing yeah. else in mindset for it, right? You go, I'm not doing this for 17 years to have some global pandemic shut it down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Molly, yeah. thanks again so much for joining us. This has been such a good Thank conversation. You. I appreciate you.
1: Thank you so much. It's good to see you again. Bye now.